you wonder what a definition of worship is, it's just being thankful that God saves messed up people like us. Can we just pray this morning? God, thank you that you save. God, thank you that you forgive. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace over our lives. Father, forgive us for hard hearts. God, forgive us for closed minds and closed hands and closed arms. Jesus, open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our hands, open our arms to you, to be thankful for the grace over our lives and the privilege and opportunity we have to know you and to make you known. Lord, you have saved us by your grace. May we be a loud, worshiping people because of that gift, because of your kindness that has led us to repentance. We worship you this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the privilege to be with your family today, the privilege to open your word, to learn from your word today. Teach us, God. Teach us today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 I'm going crying again. Oh, man. Well, thanks for being with us. We are in the middle of a uh, series called Acts, the Story of the Church. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> oh, I thought he was coming to give me a hug. I'd take that too. I don't... Um, middle of the series called The Story of the Church, and I love the book of Acts. Uh, and it, it, when you read the book of Acts, it, it reads like a, a novel. There's so much adventure, there's so much excitement, there's so much of, of God's work and movement. And last week we talked about this character by the name of Saul. We know him to be Paul, right, later on in his life. But we, we, last week we talked about this amazing revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, we learned about um, his salvation, his baptism, the beginning of his ministry. Uh, this week the writer Luke changes the focus from Saul back to Peter. Because you remember earlier in the book, we were talking about Peter and John and the disciples and the, the formation of the early church. And so now you see Luke is, is kind of going from different people to different places. And now we're back to Peter this morning to, to look at all that God has been doing. Of course, we talked about in the middle of those two, we talked about Stephen and Philip, these Greek disciples who God used in the middle of persecution. Uh, and his word is going forth and being scattered around the world. And it's beautiful. But the thing I want to mention before we get into this is the work of God and the story of God is not about people. It's not about Saul, and it's not about Peter or John. It's not about Stephen, right? It's not about Philip. It's not about Drew. It's not about Daryl. It's not about Elvis or Jerry. It's about Jesus. He's the only one that matters. And by his grace, he allows us to be a part of what he is doing. That's what's so good. It's about Jesus. You know, some of your Bibles say Acts. Uh, the Acts of the Apostles. It might even be the name of the book, The Acts of the Apostles. I think a better title would be The Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's the main character in the book of Acts. Join with me as we begin our, our text this morning in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. 
There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, uh, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was, was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and, and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, one of the mistakes we can make when we read Scripture, and we've been going through Acts, and maybe some of you are reading it through your quiet time, and you're learning this story, and you're... There's so much in it. There's so much stuff to, that gets you excited and so many things happening. See, the danger is you read Scripture like a novel. And you just kind of go, wow, that was awesome. And then you go to the next chapter and you keep reading. And it's okay to read it that way sometimes. But it's, it's important. In fact, it's imperative that we not just read through the excitement and all the, act, the things that are going on, but that we, we stop. That's the purpose of us going through these, this book of Acts verse by verse. We're in our second summer of this Series. We'll probably do three or four summers in this book because we're going verse by verse. We really want to get everything that God has for us in each of these verses as much as we can. So I, I just want us today to get into this, to dig into this. Sometimes you can read a small section like this and go, man, that's some cool stuff. And then go to the next chapter, right? I don't want us to do that today. I really want us to digest and look deeper at the things that, that uh, the Lord wants to show us. Like I said before, uh, the Lord is, through, through Luke, showing us from Saul's visit last week. He was in uh, Jerusalem. You remember Saul, is, he's just, he's a, bad, he's a bad boy. You know, he was bad when he was an enemy of God and when he became, uh, uh, for the Lord, he was still a bad man. He was, he was bad in the sense that he was, he, was, he was excited. He was awesome. He was ready to move forward. He's ready to, to take it for the Lord. In fact, he was only in Jerusalem two weeks before uh, he had a death warrant, right, out for him. And so the brothers around him said, why don't you go back home for a while? And they send him back to Tarsus. And then Luke changes our, our focus to Peter. Now Peter is on his own kind of missionary journey of his own. A lot of theologians are kind of interested by this. Like why, what caused Peter now to go out? And some think maybe it's his contemporaries, it's his brothers. He sees Paul going, or Saul at the time, going and doing all these things. He sees Philip going. He sees Stephen stepping up and going. And now we see Peter going, all right, here we go. And I love the way this text reads at the very beginning in verse 32. It says, Peter went from here to there, right? He's just kind of going from town to town. You get the sense that there's no specific point. Like you don't, you don't see that Peter's going to this town. His journey is to one place. He's going from here to there. And when I read that, I just thought about us because that's what we do, isn't it? We go to work. We take the kids to school. We go to the gym. We go on vacation. We come to church. We, we're going from here to there. And the beauty of that little tiny little section is that God as it, is at work all around you when you go from here to there. All over the place. 
God is at work around you. There's no question. And, and Peter sees this. He's going to this town called Lydda. It's, uh, it's about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem, a uh, small little town. And uh, Peter's just reminded here that when God is at work, he can do anything. And so he bumps into this, he, I guess he gets to know this young man by the name of An- An- uh, Aeneas. And Aeneas has been crippled. He's been in bed for eight years. Think, take that in for a minute. He's been in a bed for eight years. And Peter does something that's going to change his life. Peter knows God is at work. God can do anything. Listen, if you have a heart for Christ, if your life is on mission for him, be aware of where he's at work. Pay attention to what God is doing around you because he is at work. Does anybody remember that old Bible study, uh, Experiencing God? You remember that story? I mean, that whole Bible study? I'm, I'm, I'm talking like 90s back in the day. Early ministry for me. I went through it several times, got a chance to lead it several times. And if there was one thing that I I took away and still to this day is so important to me in that study is that God is always at work. And it's our job to recognize where he's at work and to join him in that work, right? So that's what we have to learn to do as believers in Jesus. How do we know where God's working? How do we see that that's him working and how do we join him? That's what we see Peter doing. He's always at work around us. One of the verses that Black we used so much was John 12, 26. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, if anyone serves me, you must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Jesus is saying, if you know me, when I'm at work, you're going to be by my side. You're going to see where I'm working. You're going to want to be with me because that's where I'm working. By the way, when we're not where Jesus is, nothing happens. Remember what he said in John 15? He didn't say, if, if, if you do your own thing, you'll be able to accomplish a little bit. You won't be able to accomplish as much. No, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. Not even a little bit. Not just nothing. Nothing at all. So if we are his, we need to be where he is working and in the people he's working in. Peter sees this. Look at uh, Acts 9, 33. It says, and he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. You see that? He doesn't say, hey, Aeneas, time to be healed. I want to heal you. Look what we're about to do. No. He makes it clear right in the beginning. Jesus Christ heals you. Then he says something very interesting. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Peter is so clear here. Who does the miracle, isn't he? It's not, there's no mistaking here. Before the conversation even gets going about this healing, Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. I I have really nothing to do with this. He is the one who heals you. He's the one. What I love about this is Peter is remembering here where the power comes from. It's not his to give. You remember this is kind of a a rerun of what Peter does at the temple back in Acts 3. Remember there was a a crippled beggar outside of the temple, and, and Peter and John come up to him, and what does he want? He wants money, right? He's begging for money. Remember what Peter says? He says, silver and gold, have I none, right? But what I do have, I give you. I give you Jesus. And he says, rise, take up your mat and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise. In other words, this is not me. People ask him, where does the power come from? Remember the Sanhedrin asked, where the power comes from? He says, this is Jesus' power. It's not mine. There's no question, this is not me. This is him. It reminds me of 
uh, a waiters, honestly. You ever been to a good restaurant? And you get this amazing meal. And the waiter brings it out. And uh, you're a foodie. I know you got you. You eat this meal and you just, it's just amazing. And you, sometimes I do a little tear will just fall down my. <laughs> and you know what? You just kind of want to, you want to just hug the chef. You know, and be like, thank you for this meal. It would be strange if you got up and you hugged the waiter, wouldn't it? Thank you for this meal. The waiter would go, uh, I picked it up off the deal. I just picked it up off the thing and I just brought it to you. The chef is a guy, he put the whole thing together. He's the one that cooked it. That's who we need to be. We're just waiters. We don't make the meal. We're not responsible for what's happened. We just bring it to the people who need it. That's all we do. And so when they come, they go, thank you, you're amazing. You go, oh, pfft, you don't know me. God's amazing. He's the one who did this miracle. He's the one with the power. Here's, he's the one with the power. Uh, I love this phrase that Peter tells Aeneas. It says, rise and make your bed. By, by the way, parents, if you need scriptural proof for your kids making their bed, remember this verse. Just underline it, put a little mark by your Bible, and when they give you, you know, some trouble, just be like, it's in the Bible, you know. Um, no, seriously, I'm, I do want to make a comment about this. I found it very interesting that he said this. Listen, when God does a work in your life, when God does a significant work in your life, don't go back to the way it was and don't go back to who you were. I, I love Sunday afternoon naps, I promise you. And my wife and I, we, we sometimes make our bed and we sometimes don't make our bed, you know. We have the big fancy pretty pillows and, uh, well, Sundays, the bed is not made, ever. You know why? Because I have a plan to get back in that bed. <laughs> this afternoon, that's where I'll be, I, Lord willing. I will be in that bed taking a nap. And it makes it much easier when the bed is not made just to slip back into that bed and take a nap and get some rest, Right? But have you ever had the bed made and you think about taking a nap and you're like, oh, never mind, you know, and you end up on the couch or something? It's harder to take a nap when the bed's made, and I, I think there's something in this. I really do. I think what Peter is saying is, Aeneas, for eight years you have been in this bed of brokenness. You've been in this bed of, of crippling failure and uh, curse whatever's going on you've not been able to get out you've been lonely things have been broken and when he says rise he says rise and make that bed make it hard to get back in that bed make it up forget this bed move on with your life because God's doing a new thing it's the same thing he tells us it's the exact same thing it reminded me of this scripture uh, Paul gave us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How often when we come to know Christ sometimes, though, we just we kind of just want to slip back into who we used to be. We just want to keep going back to where we used to live and the things we used to do with the people we used to do them with. You know what I mean? We want to get back in that bed, but there's only death in the bed. We got to get out of the bed. We got to make it where it's hard to get back into it. We got to change our lives for a new life. One of our partners, Paul Stevens, I don't know if he's here this morning. I, I love Paul. He has a ministry called the Exodus Project. 
And one of the core values of the Exodus Project, which is a ministry to felons uh, who come out of prison with drug and alcohol offenses, help them get a new life. Not help them go back to an old life. Help them get a new life. And so what he does is he tells them, don't go back home. Don't go back to the people you know. Don't go back to the circles you ran in. Start over. Start over. And the city or the state has a recidivism rate, which is just a big word for meaning go back to prison, of 53%. So in this state, when you get out of prison, you're more likely to go back to prison than stay out of it. But if you go through the Exodus Project, it's 10% recidivism rate. It's because he's helping people know to not go back to who they were, to where they were, and to the things that they did, to get out of that bed and to live a new life in Christ. And let me tell you something about a new life in Christ. When God changes a life, when God does a miracle in a, and makes a changed life, even just one, he can change a whole community. One life changed can change a whole community. I want you to remember these communities um, like Sharon or Lida, they're very small, very small communities. In fact, Lida probably could fit just in one half of one side of our parking lot, the whole town. I mean, I'm talking very, very small. They would have known Aeneas. To see Aeneas hanging out in the market, right? He's looking at some fruits and they're like, Wait, you're, you're supposed to be in the bed. He goes, no, 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 no. I've been healed. I've been healed. People would have known Aeneas. They would have seen the miracle, right? They would have known that something has changed and the community would be changed as well. They would have seen that this is something only God could do. Let me tell you something, church. I believe the world is looking for real change. We got a lot of people talking on social media. A lot of people talking on the news, a lot of viewpoints, but you know what the world needs and is looking for? Something real. Not the talk. Something real. And we're beginning to see that change. I believe we're beginning to see it even in our own church, in our own community. There's some people who are coming to our church and going, oh, wait, you're doing what you said you would do. That's interesting. That's different. Oh, wait, you actually seem like the person you're supposed to be. Well, that's interesting. The world is looking for authenticity. The question is, are we going to be that authentic church? Are we going to love them where they are? i got to say something to the, to the one whose life has been changed. The one who, who, who God has done a miracle in. Listen, are you willing to be even just that one in your community? At work? At school? Jesus said, if, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you disown me before men, I'll disown you before my Father in heaven. See, God wants to use every one of us in, in whatever communities we walk in for his glory and for that community. But we got to be willing to acknowledge him before that community. I believe Aeneas, I believe he went for a little run. <laughs> I believe he went for a little jog. Check out my legs. Right? Look what's going on. And the, and the whole town, which is not very big, is going... Oh, there's a God in heaven, and I want to know him. Aeneas was willing to be used of God. And then I want to ask this of us as a church community. When people start to come, <laughs> are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready to receive a community looking for change, and will we be that change for them? 
Verse 36 tells us about this other character in the story. Her name is Tabitha. It says, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, which is not the most awesome name ever. I think what Luke is doing here is he's translating this into Greek, and he wants his Greek brothers and sisters to know what this name means. Tabitha means gazelle or deer. I mean, most of the time, if you have a name, it doesn't really translate. It's just a name. But this name has a meaning. It means gazelle or deer, and he wanted to translate that, so he translated into Greek, which is Dorcas. Then it says, she was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, two men uh, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Joppa is just a little ways from Lida. It's about 10 miles. So if you're walking, it's still a pretty good hike, right? But it's not that far. So these, this community of people here that Peter's nearby, and somehow they have the faith that God could maybe do a work in him and raise their dear friend back to life, resuscitate her back to life. Now what I love about this story is when it begins to describe who Tabitha is, says she's a disciple, which is nice. I appreciate that. Many of us have that label on our social media things. I'm a Christian, right? But what's more important than the label over our name is the definition of our life that proves the label. And that's what we see in Tabitha. It says not only she is a disciple, it says she's full of good works and acts of charity. See, your life needs to define who you are. It's who that's what happened with Tabitha. By the way she lived, by the way she served, by the way she loved, her life was defined and it lived up to the title of disciple, not just something over her life. I'm a Christian, but you'd never know it, no. She lived in such a way that people knew she was a follower of Jesus. I think it's also interesting, that it says the widows were weeping and showing tunics and other garments that she made. Listen, this is a clue here. <laughs> The widows, that is her ministry. These are the people she's doing good works and acts of charity for. These are the people she's giving her life to, this group of widows. And I don't believe uh, Tabitha had sort of a tunic shop. They were just kind of showing Peter, well, check, this is the, her fall line from last year. You can check out. That's not what's going on. This is what's happening. These widows are weeping, and they're going, she made this for me. She made this for me. And the next one, yes, and she made this for me. What's so beautiful about this moment, we're not only hearing who Tabitha was, we're seeing the people she gave her life to, and we're seeing the gifts that she gave to them. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. Tabitha was an amazing woman. She was known and remembered for the life that she lived. If she was a bad person, or uh, didn't make that much of a difference in the community. Do you think the people would have rushed off to Lida? Do you think they would have tried to make any difference? In the... No. But what's so interesting is this community could not live without her. She was so important to this community. They couldn't live without her. I've been convicted by that. Is my life lived in such a way 
that if I died today, the community would go, oh, man, we're going to miss him. He, he was effective in the community. He was effective in his neighborhood. He loved people well. Is your life the kind of life that when, if you were to die today, people would say, oh, no, we need her. We need him. It's exactly what we see in Tabitha's life. But we get so caught up in our own interests, our own needs, our own wants. Let's continue to look at our text. Acts 9.40. Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and he prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes and when when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. I think this is just interesting to me. As I just poured over this, this, this text this week and just prayed over it and looked over it and looked over it, God continued to show me some things. You know what I love about what Peter does in this? The first thing he says in verse 40, but Peter put them all outside, all the widows, weeping. And I was just reminded, listen, he's doing the thing that he saw Jesus do. He's doing the very thing he saw Jesus do. By the way, if you could just live your life in the way that Jesus lived his, you'd be doing pretty, pretty good, wouldn't you? If we could just do the things he did and live the way he lived, we'd be doing all right. Look at Mark 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 37. This is when Jesus is about to heal or resuscitate Jairus' daughter. Speaking of Jesus, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. So Peter's with Jesus here. Remember that. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Jesus. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha uh, Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Peter was there. Peter saw this whole thing play out when Jesus gave life to this little dead girl. Peter's doing the same thing Jesus did. And as I prayed over this and prayed over this, I was just reminded, listen, There are going to be people in your life that don't believe you can be who God wants you to be. There are going to be people in your life that may even laugh at you. You say, hey, I want to live for Jesus, and they go, right. There are going to be people in your environment that don't create an environment of faith. They don't create an environment of love or support. They don't believe. Or maybe they're just so consumed with something else. You know, Jesus walks up. And he just goes, why are you weeping? This girl's just asleep. He had the perspective that only God could have, right? She's only sleeping. Why are you guys weeping? They laugh at him, and what does Jesus do? He puts them out of the room. Here, Peter, he's there with the widows. They're weeping. Their focus is on death and not on life. What does Peter do? He just puts them out of the room. Y'all get out of here. I need an environment of faith. We need an environment of life. We need an environment of who we can be and what God wants us to do, not somebody who won't believe, not somebody who's stuck in yesterday, but believing for what God can do tomorrow and today. 
put him out of his life, put him out, put him out of the room. I was reminded when I was studying this, you know, when I was a junior in high school, in the second half of my junior year, God was changing my heart in this place. He was changing my heart in this youth group. And he was calling me to kind of step aside from my friends. I, I used to run in a crowd and do things I shouldn't do, and God was convicting my heart of that. And I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I remember standing at the very place in my high school. I could take you back to that very spot. I was standing with my best friend for several years. And I said, hey, Chris, um, hey, man, I'm not going to be hanging out with you this weekend. I'm not going to be doing the things we used to do anymore. And I'll never forget, he looked me in the face. And he goes, why? I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be who he wants me to be. I'm, I'm done Living this way, I think he wants me to live for him and, and change my life, and, and I need to make some decisions. He laughed at me. He laughed at me. I'm so glad he did. He laughed at me. He said, you'll be drunk with me next weekend. And I'm so glad he did because it was the challenge I needed to say, oh, yeah, okay. My whole senior year, which is kind of an important year for high schoolers, right, I walked alone. My whole senior year, I didn't go out and do all the things that I'd done all the rest of my life. I just tried to honor God with my life. There were people in the room of my life I had to say, you don't see what God is doing. I got to put you out. I got to put you behind me. I got to do a new thing because God is calling me to a new life in Christ. I will not be dead. I will not live in the death of this paralytic bed anymore. I'm going to make it and I'm not going back to it. Stay out of my life. I'm going to do a new thing. Did you know, listen, I don't know, 20, 25 years later, I got a Facebook message from my friend. 25 years later, and he said, I wish I'd have listened to you. He said, I'm living for the Lord now, but how many years of my life have I wasted living for myself? The next thing we see Peter do is so important for us, church. He puts people out of the room, and then what does he do? It says he kneels down and he begins to pray. The thing we need to remember is this. Prayer is the prerequisite for the power of God. Prayer is the prerequisite for the power of God. If we want God to do something here, we can't just hope for it, right? We're not just going to stumble on it. We need to seek the Lord. We need to pray. We need to believe that God is the only one who can do it. We don't have the skills, the knowledge, the creativity, the ability, the heart. He's the only one who can do the work and bring the power for what he wants to do. But you know what's interesting is Peter didn't just pray for power. I, I, Jesus says, when he went up to that crowd, he said, "Why this little girl's just sleeping. He was God. He knew that she was going to live again. But Peter, I believe he, he was praying yes for power, but I also believe he was praying for the Lord's will. Because not everybody is resuscitated to life. Right? We just saw Stephen martyred. He wasn't resuscitated to life. It wasn't God's will for him to live again. I believe Peter knelt down and said, Lord, I know you can raise this woman. Is it your will? Listen, you know you're maturing in Christ if you don't just pray for power. You pray for God's will. 
you have the type of maturity you can say, Lord, you can do anything, but I just don't know if you want to. We need to pray for the power of God and for his will to be done in our lives. And I love this next thing. Look at this phrase. Don't let this be missed on you. He goes from his focus of prayer and, and seeking the Lord, turn to the Lord. And the, and the text says he turns to the body. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. <laughs> Listen, church, we need to speak to that which is dead with a faith that it can live again. We need to speak to that which is dead with a faith that there's a possibility. It can live again if it's God's will. Our faith can be a catalyst for God to make something out of nothing, to bring beauty from ashes, to bring life from death. Peter turns to a dead woman, stiff, her body already prepared. Right? It reminded me, I was studying this, I was reminded of Romans 4, 17. It says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Peter looked at this woman, and he knew God could do it. He sought the will of the Lord. We need to be the kind of people that we also bring hope and life to the places that seem dead, that there's no hope, there's no light. We need to have a faith and a perspective of Jesus even, right? I just love this picture of the story in my mind when Jesus walks up to this crowd. Why are you weeping? What's all this commotion? She's just sleeping. Can I just tell you something this morning? Our state and our city, they look at southwest Little Rock. They look at Baseline. They look at Man Road. They look at Chico. Do you know what they see? They see death. And we as the church need to say, no, no, no. It's not dead. It's just sleeping. You know what this community did when they saw this church two, three years ago? And just a few cars around the building and not a lot of things going on? What denominations? They begin to be like vultures calling here. Hey, can we, would you merge with us? Can we do this? Can we think about going there? Would you give the building to us? You know what they thought of this church? They thought it was dead. God said, no, 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 no. It's just sleeping. It will live again. The church is just sleeping. It will live again. I will give life here again. Can I just ask you this morning, friends, listen. What's dead in your life? Who's spiritually dead in your family? Who's not walking with the Lord? Who's forgotten the dream that God gave them a long time ago and they've just dropped it? What's going on in your heart that you've given up on, you've left for dead, unwanted, that you need to speak life to? What is it? What's that thing in your heart? What's that thing in your life? Are there marriages in this room that seem dead? You might say, hey, man, my finances... Whew, they are dead. My credit is beyond dead. You might say my health, 
It's not good. It's dead. My prodigal children, dying churches, broken communities, hopeless people, homeless people, people who are addicted to different substances, all they've known is death, and we need to speak life. We need to speak life. Reminded of Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Being sure that what we hope for, that God will do a work, we're sure of it. That's called faith. And being convicted of what we don't see yet. He didn't see life in that woman. But he had faith. Listen. We don't make assumptions on God. That's why we do what Peter did. We pray. Lord, we know that you have the power. What's your will? What would you do in this circumstance? Can I just tell you, there's power in your words. Can I just speak to the parents for a minute? There's power in your words. Be careful and intentional with your words. I've heard some parents speak to their children in ways that are just awful, shaming them, discouraging them. Listen, the world is going to discourage them enough. They need hope. They need life. They need peace. They need to believe that you think they can be anything God wants them to be. And you speak that over them. I got a friend who's part of our church. And I'll text him sometime. Good morning, mighty man of God. Good morning, mighty warrior. I just want to speak over him who he can become. So that he'll own the identity that God has given him. And not the one that he's lived in in the past. There's power in our words and what we say. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power tongue. Be careful, be intentional. And then let me ask you this. What, what do you think in this story is the greatest miracle? Because we see a bunch of them. Is it when Peter heals Aeneas and he's walking again? Is it when Peter resuscitates Tabitha from death to life? That seems like a greater one than healing. Or do we see one yet greater? Look at verses 35 and 42 and what they say. It says that because of those miracles, God led people to salvation. Because of what he did in those miracles, he turned the hearts of those people to Jesus, to know him, to love him. That is the greatest miracle. And by the way, the purpose of any miracle is to give a revelation of who Jesus is. That's the purpose. When God does something amazing in your life, you better be telling somebody. When God does something you can't explain, man, begin to shout it from the rooftops because he wants to use every miracle in our lives and around us and in the scripture to show people who he is. And then I'm going to close with this. The very last verse of our text, Acts 9, 43. <laughs> Luke gives us just a little hint of where we're going next week. Very interesting. He says, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now the thing you need to know about a tanner is a tanner is kind of like a tax, uh, taxidermy. How you say it? Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Taxidermy? Tax, what, is, what is it? That's it. Taxidermist. It's kind of a weird profession, right? You have all these dead animals and you, and you, you 
tanning the hides of these animals, and you're, that's kind of what this is. Well, in Levitical law, Jews were supposed to stay a long ways away from this kind of practice. You don't go anywhere near it in Levitical law. And yet here, Peter's going to stay in his home for several days. It's just a little glimpse. It's just a little hint of what we're going to talk about next week, about the freedom God gives us in his church. Moving us from the law toward grace. It's going to be a beautiful week next week. Can, before we go, listen, can I just wrap up and remind you of the things that we talked about today? Number one, it's this. Wherever you go, God is at work. Today, when you go to, to lunch, this week when you go to work, when you're doing things with your family, be reminded God is at work. You know, the Bible says in John 6, that only the Father can draw someone to himself. This is what it means. When somebody says, hey, I'm just, I've been thinking about going to church. Ding, 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 ding. Realize that God is at work. Because only God can draw him to think about that. Somebody says, hey, man, would you pray for me? My family's kind of messed up. Ding, 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 ding. God's at work. When somebody says, hey, I'd like to talk a little bit about your faith. What, anytime you sense that God is doing something, he's drawing someone to himself, only he can do that. Nothing else can draw someone to the Lord, only him. So when you sense that, join him. So, oh, man, let's go right now. Oh, man, can, can we have coffee right after work? Can we? Don't waste a moment. Realize, realize God is at work and join him. But know where the power comes from. It's not in you. You're just a waiter. You're just going to serve the truth and grace of God to your friend. And then this is the question, how's God working in your life? Have you been walking in an identity of the past and brokenness and addiction and struggle? You're going to make up your bed and walk in a new life. Start a new direction. Rise up. Everybody say, rise up. Let's say it again, rise up. Let's get out of who we used to be and become who God wants us to be. Amen? Get out of that old life. Put it behind you. Put places and habits and, and, and people out of your life just as Peter did. And do that new life. Live that new life. And then be like Tabitha. Let, let the definition of who you are and who your life says you are define you. Make a difference in your community because of it. And then lastly, I'll just say this and then we're going to go. We're going to sing, I should say. What seems dead may not be dead. <laughs> what seems dead may not be dead. Some of you parents even feel in your heart right now just the hope that maybe that's true. Some of you that have been struggling, just in your heart you're just hoping God, will you please let that be true? That what has seemed dead in my heart or dead in my finances or dead in my medical condition or family or marriage or whatever, maybe it's not dead. Maybe you'll give life where there's been only death. Maybe you'll bring beauty from ashes. Listen, we can't do it. Only he can do it, but that's his job. That's what he does and that's who he is speak life to that which seems dead and have faith that God can do it. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, you and you alone are worthy of our praise today. God, you and you alone can only draw someone to yourself. 
you and you alone can only restore a life, can bring beauty from ashes. God, I'm so thankful that you brought this dead heart to life. You didn't make me better. You made me alive. So God, if there's one person here today that, that seems dead in you, that doesn't have a faith, that is struggling in some way, God, may we speak life to their soul. May we speak life to their condition. And may you do what only you can do. Bring them to life. May we rise up in you, Jesus. That's our prayer and our hope. Help us to worship you now, Father God. To seek you. To love you with all that we are. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing a song, and, and, and maybe you need to pray. You might need to come to this altar. That's why we have such a big altar, by the way. A lot of churches don't do altar time anymore, and I love the fact that we do. If you need to come to this altar, there's nothing special about this carpet and this wood, aside from the fact that there's people who love you and want to pray with you. But if you want to come down here and you want to pray, we, we encourage you to do that. If there, you want to grab somebody's hand and pray with them, do that. There's going to be a couple of pastors here waiting for you if you need someone to pray with you. But let's worship. Let's worship this morning and be exactly who he wants us to be. Let's sing.